everybody. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. We're right in the middle of a three-part series about resolving conflict. This is episode number two. If you haven't listened to episode number one in this series, it's the episode previous. I encourage you to hit stop now. Go back, listen to that one, because this one is building off of the process that we laid out in the first episode. So we gave you all of the details about how to start to set up this conversation around conflict. And this episode is all about having the actual conflict conversation, the conflicted conversation. This gives you so many powerful tools and allows you to be present with the person that you're in conflict with so that we can come up with a resolution. Resolution part will be in episode three. Cannot wait for you to listen to this conversation, hear your feedback. So let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I'm here with Dan Takini and Adrian Kaler. How are, how are you gentlemen? Hey, you doing great. Thanks, great. Good, this is part two of a three-part series. How are you feeling? I'm 64, how old do you think I How, how do you think I feel? <laughs> I'm always giving my wife, because you stop doing that. I feel great, I feel like I'm 30. <laughs> well, uh, I'm doing good, I'm glad to be here, man. Good. The, the, um, the first part of this series, we really talked about, so this whole series is based around conflict. Yep. Something that, um, I, you know, we talk a lot amongst ourselves about our clients and where they're at, where they're going, what's stopping them from getting what they want or what they say they want. And conflict seems to be so prevalent. You know, it's conversations they're avoiding. It's, um, breakdowns that they are ignoring all of that kind of stuff and so we wanted to really take our time to dive into this to really create some tools for you the listener that you can use where the rubber hits the road both in skills and philosophy to really take on conflict and and actually thrive in conflict that's for me that's really a transformation i'm not saying i'm perfect and i do it all the time but for me to a huge transformation happened in my life where I, when I was willing to thrive in conflict, mm. run into conflict. And now I see when we resolve this or when we work through this together, our relationship will be stronger. Something better, will, not better, something new will be on the other side of it. Yeah. So last, last time, last part, we talked about preparing for this conversation with the other person you're in conflict with or you have a breakdown with. Now we want to talk about the actual interaction, the actual conversation that you're going to have with the other human that you are in conflict with and what that looks like to connect to current reality, both for yourself and for them to locate yourself, locate them um, so that we can get really realistic about where each of us are in the conflict. So let's, Let's dive in. Last time we talked, uh, we, stopped, we, we ended on owning our contribution in the preparation phase. What is it that I uh, bring to the table in this conflict? How am I creating this situation with the other person? Um, and there's a couple of more steps that we want to talk about. Uh, the, the, I'll, I'll quickly rename the five that we, that we explored last time. The first one was naming the issue. 
preparing a specific example of the breakdown, uh, very, getting very specific is very important. Describing your experience and how you feel about the breakdown, clarifying why this is important or what's at stake. What, what are you willing or what do you, um, what do you stand to gain or lose on the back end of this conflict, re regardless of what direction it goes, <laughs> whether, whether you, you know, there's, there's always something to gain and lose either way. Um, and then owning your contribution that I just mentioned. So I want to start out by talking today about declaring our commitment in the conflict. We talk about declaring our commitment. What are we talking about? Well, you think about, I, when you say that, and when I think about this, particularly I think about my, where my conflicts are most dramatized, you know, where they're most charged with energy or people that I'm closest to, like my wife or my children. And I, I found that if I'm upset or elevated, or if I'm edgy internally by declaring my commitment to them, like saying, hey, look, honey, no matter what happens here, this is what I'm committed to with you or somebody else, you know, look, Adrian, even though we may not come down on the same side of this, I want you to know this is what I'm committed to with you. I'm committed to getting to a place where we can align, even though we may not agree with what's going on here. I'm committed to listening to you uh, say whatever you need to say so I can really understand what's there. Even if we don't do the same thing, I'm committed to staying connected or I'm committed to getting through this together so that I'm not only just letting them know that, but I'm actually letting myself know that. I'm regrounding myself in why I'm having the, this, this discussion, what it means to me how important this person is, what our relationship means. So it's, some, it's a declaration about where I'm really standing in the midst of this upset that we're, or this breakdown that we're resolving together. Even if it doesn't come out the way I want it to come out, where do I stand? What, how am I going to be toward you no matter what? Yeah. So you're saying something really interesting, Dan, that I just wanted to pull out really quick is this doesn't look like um, I'm committed to coming out of this thing in agreement. No, no. It's no. I'm committed to being with you even if. So it's a commitment even if we don't get to a resolution that I prefer. Yes. I think a lot of us approach conflict that way, right? It'll be a win if I get, I I get my way. Yeah. But what if the win was redefined? Yeah. Well, well, the point is acknowledging. It's kind of like without saying it, I'm okay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this for you, even if I don't get my way. That, that's, it's kind of letting the person know where I am in the process of resolving this, even if it's not resolved yet. Mm. Yeah, I think about a couple examples. One just happened yesterday where a dear friend of mine um, uh, who's been having some health challenges uh uh has, was having some acute health challenges and i uh, said i was going to come up and see him he lives a, a airplane flight away and he told me when he was in a, at, at night and tired and stuff hey please don't come and i knew i was coming <laughs> and only because of my commitment to him right and i didn't care about how he felt in the moment and i well, was willing to face did he also say don't don't uh don't Give me this time. This was like, I need this time alone. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Respect my space is what he said. 
Yeah. And I, and I, I do uh, respect, respect his view of his space. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I mean, and I, I guess I mean that tongue in cheek. I mean, there's part of, I mean, uh, this is the declaration part is like my commitment to him as a friend really has nothing to do with how he, he views me as a friend. Um, which is not, which is not a popular view. Um, especially in today's culture of, uh, you know, of, of, I guess, uh, hyper honoring empathy because my commitment to him was beyond how he felt in the moment. And, and I, I, for me, that opens up a lot in this context about conflict because I was willing to face the conflict. And if I showed up and, and visited him and he didn't want me to be there, I was okay with that. And even if he kicked me out of the room, I was okay with that. Even if he didn't want to talk to me, I was okay with that. I was there, I was there to be with him. And even if that meant in this moment, I was going to be distant from him, that's okay. You know, so uh, I didn't know. It was an uncomfortable, you know, 12 hours when he, between when I said I was coming, he told me not to come. And when I actually got there, I didn't know how it was going to be when I showed up. But that was my, I, I was operating out of my declaration of my friendship to him. Um, and I, I think about it too, in the, that's in the personal context, in the professional context. I think your point, Chad, is spot on is most of us are, we've had, we have an experience or a challenge with what's happening and we don't like what's happening. And we tend to not see the distinction between what's happening and the person it's happening through. And so we reject the person it's happening through because they represent what's happening that we don't like. And the declaration is to say, hey, hold on. I was with this person when they were creating the results, the results I wanted. Now they're not creating the results I wanted. How do I still be with this person again, even in this conversation, because it was an easy relationship when I was getting what I wanted. Now it's not a quote unquote easy relationship. And we tend to, to not reground ourselves in the relationship uh, be, until the situation gets cleared. And that usually creates the context for really bad conflict or conflict we don't want to have because we're actually, we can't make distinct the person and the problem. Yeah, hard, so I can, hard on the problem, soft on the person, or that's right. even just distinguishing. But I was going to ask you, what do you think? That, so speak to the practical applications that open up, the practical possibilities, if you will, that open up from a stand or that distinction, from making that distinction and on, you know, living in that distinction. Because what I think people can hear, particularly in today's woke society, you know, culture, is oh you're not, you're not honoring them, right? You're not honoring their boundaries. That's yeah. a big one right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a lot here. So there. I mean, what I was going to say is I don't really care about somebody else's boundaries, and that's pretty strong. Um, and I don't know if that's always true. Um, but what is what is true is we all get to decide what type of relationships we want to have and what kind of relationship works for me. And I think due to the, I mean, emotions as emotions have become, I'll say worshiped just to be a bit hyperbolic or tend to like, you know, this, how I'm feeling is kind of, you know, the, the thing that we are really, have so much tension around in culture, like how somebody's feeling, what they think about that, what they say about that, what that means to them. You know, what if we don't watch it, the challenge with that is now 
we're, we're wa always walking in minefields and we can't say the wrong thing, can't do the wrong thing, can't look at somebody the wrong way, can't whatever. Um, and so the, the capacity for a relationship goes way down because essentially in a relationship, we're now we're just waiting to make a mistake and waiting for somebody to be offended. Um, and now we can now like the, the, the limits of the relationship have really shortened because we can't say all these things. And even maybe listeners right now are even saying, well, hey, we got legal issues and you know, that, therefore I can't. But we also are, we can't, the challenge is we can also use all those factors as a way for me not to be courageous in the conversation. And that's what we're getting to here is like, as a person that decides to have a certain type of relationship, and most of us haven't decided what that is. Like, am I committed to being courageous at work? Most of us haven't asked ourselves that question. Am I committed to being a courageous leader? Whatever that means, it means a lot to me, we could get into that. But if we're committed to being courageous, then there are certain ways of showing up that I'm going to be, and there's certain actions I'm gonna take based on that, um, that really are not at all connected to what's happening circumstantially, or even, uh, what's happening in somebody else because somebody else can be in a very difficult situation or be offended by me and if I'm committed to being courageous I'll just stand right there like oh I said something that offended you I okay let's hear about it yeah there's a but there's a background interpretation there I think needs to that's going that's getting level that you're you're operating in that you naturally operate in in fact I read this interesting meme the other day it said it was about you know, alphas, and it said alphas basically don't care what other people think about them, but it's actually more nuanced than that. I think it's what you're talking about is I recognize that the meaning is in the listener and whatever meaning I'm carrying in this, in this conversation is a result of what I'm making up about the conversation, not what the other person's saying. Yeah. And it's honoring that. So when you talk about a boundary, to me, that is the boundary. The boundary is knowing what my task is and what your task is. Yeah. And so my task is to, is to manage what I'm making up about what you're saying to me and to investigate and connect and understand the difference between what you mean to say to me and what I make up about what you mean to say to me. But that whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm experiencing is what I make up about what you say to me. And yet if I give you credit for it, now I've trans i've broken the boundary yeah because now i'm giving you power that you don't have you don't have the power to change my experience and pro that's probably the biggest breakdown in my experience of working with people today in this culture is that the the the, the idea that what you're experiencing is a result of what is coming to you or what's being said to you is actually neurobiologically inaccurate it's not true I, and if I don't own that, that that's the, I've given up my freedom. That's actually the essence of my freedom. So in, in the breakdown, what I, what, I, like what I really appreciate about what you're saying is it makes you a relationship knot. You know, it's like a knot, an astronaut. Uh, you know, you're like journeying. And if your friend would have rejected or said, don't be there, it didn't change your commitment to him. And it wasn't like he had to accept you. It isn't like, okay, good, got it. I just want, I'm here, got it. I'm out, I'll be outside, I'll be down the road, but I'm still here for you. And I'm yes. not, you know, I want you to know that. And, yeah. and he can have whatever interpretation he has about it. And, and then in fact, what's beautiful about that is if 
there's space for that. You're going to have room to hear what he has to say to you because, again, what he has to say to you isn't determining who you are, so you're going to be able to listen to him in a way that's going to make a difference. And if you think about just think if we lived in the political domain that way, what could get done? <laughs> well, I think about it. A couple things come to mind too that are helpful for me. One is, and this is helpful for people in the professional domain as well, is for this friend, I know that he's offering to me in that moment, like don't come up. He's offering to me something that he's already confessed he doesn't like. Yeah. Once intimacy, once companionship, going through a hard time, he knows he can isolate to protect himself. So he's offering me the isolation. The, he's offering me something that I know is a defense, right? Um, and so I'm actually connected to what he really wants. So I can, I'm, I'm seeing past the defense and connecting to what he really wants in the professional domain. It happens like this as well. Um, a lot of times teams for us that we don't work with. And what happens when we get in a room with people is we discuss with a senior leadership team, what's it mean to be on this team? What are the commitments to being on this team? How are we going to be with each other? And what are we committed to together? And a lot of times they don't have, they go around that combo because it's doesn't fit the business paradigm, doesn't fit, you know, what typically happens in a quote unquote leadership meeting. Um, and so there's no agreement around how we're going to be with one another. Um, and what's, what, what that sets up is that when there's breakdown, there's really, we haven't identified, pre-identified where the solid ground is. Because, but if you've had that conversation, you've identified where the solid ground is and the solid ground is the promise that we're all connected to and the commitment we have with one another to get to this certain location, i.e. the vision for the company. And that we can, we have pre-established what our commitments are to one another. So if you don't, if you haven't done that, most teams don't do that because they don't quote unquote know how, or it's outside the paradigm what they think's appropriate. Um, but the challenge with that is we, when there is breakdown, we can't, we can't, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to talk about it. But if you, if you have done it, you can actually come alongside of somebody. Let's say you've got a guy, Tom, that's blowing it. And you, but you and Tom had a conversation six months ago around what Tom was going to do and what, how he was going to deliver and uh, what was going to happen with his division and who he was going to be to you and all these kinds of things. We actually, you had some agreements in place around what to expect of each other. If I have that, then I can start the conversation with what Tom and I are committed to together. Like we start there, which is to your point, Dan, and to I guess the point of where we're at in this conversation is like we can start with fortifying who we are with one another. And, yes. and right, and then who we- I am, Who I am for you, right? Because one of the things like you said, I wanna kind of go back a little bit of what you said, which is if we, whatever we have really isn't it isn't a product of circumstance. It's actually a product of, of intent, even though the intention may not be known. So if the relate, like, like you said, teams may not clearly define these commitments to one another. And that's not an accident. Yeah. Right. That's not an accident. That's, that's a, that's a function of intention in leadership. I think like there might not be the kind of resolve to have the commitment turn out that is wanted and needed to produce the kind of clarity that, that, this kind of connection can, you know, it requires. Yeah. Think about it. And so <clears throat> thinking about that, like first noticing the clarity that you have with your team is not an accident. Right. Is a very powerful thing. 
because they, once again, I'm taking responsibility for how, what, what am I getting out of having it this way? Yeah. Then, and that's, you know, that happens to me regularly. But then the next thing is, even if they don't know, I can begin to create that clarity by declaring it myself. And that's what this is about, is this is who I am for you and why I'm here for you. And I'm reminding not only them, again, I'm reminding myself and making the distinction between what they're doing and who they are. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it puts, it puts a clear sense of purpose for the conversation before even the conversation begins. And because if you have a vision, then everything has a context for meaning. If I have a commitment, a vision to what I'm doing there, I, I'm not going to be held hostage by your behavior. Yeah. I don't have to, if I'm really committed to that vision, all your behavior has meaning, everything you do. And I'm thinking about having, because that's what you said you wanted and we wanted together. Yeah. So now I'm being loyal to what we came together for, right? So now that's a true friend where I'm committed to your commitment. Whereas an accomplice is, I'm committed to what you and I agreed to do so I can feel good about me and you can feel good about you. And the minute we don't, the minute we don't get our way, our relationship is dissolved. Right. That's, that's a criminal relationship in many ways because as soon as I'm not getting served, you're no good anymore. And, and so it breaks down and it's irrecoverable because it doesn't have a, something bigger than me connecting me to you. Yeah. 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 Adrian, Adrian, you talked about courage. Um, and I think, and you caught, you talked about it in the context of, you know, maybe there are some HR things, some legal things that can't be said. And the thought that came up for me is that courage requires creativity. You know, courage doesn't look like devil wears Prada, come in, yell at everybody, make everybody feel like shit. Courage requires creativity. And in this process of declaring what the purpose of your relationship is with somebody that you lead is a courageous act, but it never looks the same and it evolves. It's an ever changing evolution. And so that requires the creativity for us to stay connected, pay attention and listen. Dan, you brought up listening and that's our next step. And I, I think it, it's, it's worth talking about the different types of listening <clears throat> excuse me, the different types of listening that we engage in, especially uh, what comes up for me when, I, when conflict comes up, my first reaction is to listen to prove. Yeah, to prove, to prove my point. Yes. Right? To prove whatever I've got to prove. About to find, you know, about the it's just to find my in, right? It's like, oh, you I said consider. that, there's my in to prove you wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm in a conversation with a guy right now. He reached out to me and he wants to talk to me about political issues because I don't know, he feels like I'm misguided. And I said, okay, good. And I noticed that very thing. I went in to prove that point. And when I started listening to him, I realized he did not come to do that. Mm. It was so interesting internally how, how difficult it was for me to let go and just be with him. Like being with him would put me off guard. Like... I'd be open to something. I was like, what is this oddness in me? What, what is this need to feel like my girl? And I just started letting go. Like, what if it was okay for me to be wrong about what I had to say just going into this? What if it would be, what if it would be okay that I didn't know what I was talking about? And then I could just, even if he brought it up, and he never did. But, but actually getting to that place made me so much more in, uh, intreatable. 
in the conversation. And I think that's a lot of what we're talking about is it's those hidden attitudes that, that determine that mood that the, that the conversation set in. That's why declaring your commitment and sets up an environment of listening. Cause like we talked before, I think in one of our podcasts that listening's like a bowl, there's already something in it. it's not empty. We kind of think that, Oh, when we go to listen neutrally, we're empty, but we're, we have all these already always conversations going. And so if I'm aware of them and I can tune them in the ones, particularly the ones that are not in alignment with what I want to get done, then I can quiet those voices so I can actually hear or listen through those voices. I know they're there and I don't have to take their influence. Yeah. And it changes the mood of the conversation, which is vital when you're onto something that's, you know, dangerous. I mean, dangerous meaning the the, the visions that in jeopardy, if it doesn't, you know, if I don't listen. Yeah. And the other thing is sometimes it's important. I think this is another thing to break, to let the rapport in the relationship not be there. Like if you have to break rapport, the other person's going to get upset. That's okay if I'm there committed, right? So they can have space to be wherever they're at and I don't have to have them be in any special place. I can contain and hold and be with them wherever they go. Because that's how I want somebody to be with me. So why wouldn't I want to be that way with them or work at least work and get committed to be committed to that with them? Yeah. Well, the, 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 yeah, I notice it for myself a lot. At least I'll tell myself sometimes quit making it better. I'll say that <laughs> phrase, quit making it better. And, and by that, I usually mean it's just like this inherent conversation that just wants to make everything okay. And sometimes, hey, this is not okay. We're not well. This isn't working out. This might not work out. You know, and that's true. And I, I, you know what, I, here's, here's what I want to work out. I want the relationship to work out no matter what, you know, at least from where I'm coming from, it might not work out as well. You know, you might not want what I want and that's okay. But just that, I mean, I, I'm thinking like how much sometimes we will decide to lose the war and settle for the battle, which is like, it's inherent. Every human wants stability and why we don't, why I guess the, the common view of conflict is we, uh, most people like don't like conflict. It's because we're signing up for instability for a moment in time. Yeah, like, it's turbulent. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go have an unstable conversation. I don't know what's gonna happen. I might look like a fool. I might actually be a fool. I might be wrong. I might have made more mistakes than I'd rather see. I might need to learn more than I'd rather learn. You know, my ego is gonna be broken up, you know, and I, I don't want all that. So I'll settle for having this stability, which is usually the world is the way I think it is, uh, and then lose the relationship or lose the talented person, lose the friendship, lose the significant, significant other, whatever the, the relationship's about. I'll lose that because I, I wasn't willing to, you know, potentially lose or at least walk in like, okay, I'm willing to lose this battle if I need to um, in order to, ha- to, you know, win the bigger goal. It's just, it's so, I mean, as I was thinking about this more before this conversation this morning, I was thinking, especially with hard charging people, I put myself in that category, liking things a certain way, usually have an opinion about how things should go. Um, I'm really used to, uh, you know, it's kind of like riding a bicycle. Like if you're unstable, just go faster and you get some stability. You might be going off a cliff, but at least I'm going fast. 
<laughs> yeah, I've been there. So, you know, but conflict, yeah, to do, to, to do conflict well, you got to slow down and have this, these wobbly loss of equilibrium, um, which is usually uncomfortable for a lot of hard charging people because, you know, we don't practice that. And how, you know, how do I stay connected to myself when I, when I don't have the typical defenses like power, like authority, like strength, like, you know, expertise? Yeah, I think it's, um, for some of the high, high performers that I coach this, a lot of this looks like wasting time. Yeah. And, um, once we get on the other side of it, they realize that it's the best use of time they could have uh, participated in. Yeah. Um, but at the forefront, this definitely often looks like a slowdown, a setback, a waste of time, whatever language they use to describe this thing. And yep. um, it's, it's interesting just to recognize that, right? When yeah. that boils up, are we wasting time? <laughs> just that's a great flag. You know, I, I set up all of these, um, I, as I observe my thoughts, I set up these flags for myself right. when I'm thinking this thing, when I'm running this noise, which in this case, the noise is we're wasting time. It's a, it's a flag for me to say, okay, stop, take a look. What's going on? What's really happening here? Why are you afraid of wasting time? All that kind of stuff. So I know that that comes up a lot in the conversations I'm having. So yeah. the first First step we talk about is declaring and resolving the issue. Second one, inviting the other person to respond and listening to learn. That's yeah. the, that, is the, that is the other option from listening to prove. What if, Dan, as you talked about, what if you turned on your listening to learn and were okay with wherever it landed? Yeah, you'll, and... What happens for me? I notice. I'm, so I'm just speaking from my own experience because yeah. I'm I, I'm ex I'm a very passionate guy, right? And and we all we human beings actually feel before they think. A few a few milliseconds before you think, you feel. That's why you just find yourself feeling, right? And and I, and if you're anything like me, and I'm reactive, when I I'm I'm like a reactor just internally. I boom, it just happens. One of the things I noticed that when I just listen to somebody and they say something that I make up is wrong, bad, or broken, it's, it's an attack or whatever, I make that up, I'll react. If I, can, if I catch that reaction, I notice that it is what I want to do is attack because I don't think I'm going to get what I want instead of formulate a request for what I want. And I, I found that most of my frustrations are a, a lack of asking for what I want and more of a reaction to a fear that I'm not going to get what I want. Mm. Right. And so to get authentic with myself about what I want. Now, the Adrian and I, had this came very clear to me. It happened. I realized it happens a lot to me. And that when I remember this, it's very powerful. We were in a conversation the other day, and, and it was great because he said, well, what do you want? And I thought, like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what's up. I'm frustrated because I'm not – there's something I want I'm not aware of that I'm actually afraid I'm going to lose. I'm, I'm not aware of it cognit you know, cognitively, but it's going on. It's, a, it's an ever-present fear in the conversation. So if I can get to that, 
then I can formulate a request. And then that tells me where the other person is at that moment in relationship to what I want. And I can, I can reposition myself with that person and what I want. I can put them in the right order. Person first, what I want second. Mm. I don't get what I want. I still want to stay connected to this person. Sounds rather elementary, but it's, and it is, I guess, but it's not easy. You know, it's like simple, but not easy. I think yeah. anybody knows that. Yeah, well, that lizard brain kicks in and, and we conflate oh, everything, yeah. right? Everything is a representation of the thing that we are in conflict with. Yeah. 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 Well, the, the idea that's coming to my mind is how, you know, we, we know that independence is the safest state, right? I'm independent from others. But what we know deeper than that is interdependence, interdependence is more desirable. Like we want, we don't talk about this a lot in the, in the boardroom, but it's always present. Like, you know, it's I also unavoidable. <laughs> and, and, well, and we make up that independence is the safest space because it, it probably is immediately, but in the long run, it might be the more vulnerable space. Right? Sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I, yeah, I'm speaking to how it occurs. I think to me and, and most right. biologically, yeah. yeah, biologically it's like, I, you know, uh, like I, I, I want to do this on my own. This is why like, conversations like delegation come up all the time for us and why things can't scale because leaders don't trust their people below them and they're xyz not smart enough not fast enough not whatever enough but really it's what they're saying is i'd rather not be interdependent with this person because they might fail me um <laughs> right and, and and you know so this is the and, and any leader that's taking on something huge interdependence is the only game that works you know you could be a solopreneur and do it independently quote unquote, lots of nuances there, but you guys know what I mean. But, you know, to bring on other people onto a team, especially have a huge organization that you're running, you are interdependence is, is the necessity. Um, and when somebody is, when I'm not getting what I want, you know, they're all of a sudden a threat and retreating back to what feels like independence um, is the natural space instead of leaning into the interdependence. Because what we, especially if you're the person in authority having this conversation, like where you can go is to prove they're wrong, replace them, get them out of the way, even, even worse, keep them employed and silo them off. And now we're going to put Tom over here in a corner. I always pick on guys named Tom. Um, I don't know why, but put Tom over here in the corner and like just work around him for the rest of his tenure at the, at the company. Cause you can't fire him for all these reasons, quote unquote, whatever, but then just treat him like he's not here anymore. But what we've done is, you know, uh, denied the interdependence that's that is a necessity like i actually need things i don't like tom for all these reasons but i actually need things from him and we lose chad to your point earlier the creative ability to to connect with tom in a way that we can get realigned instead i'll work around him and uh you know face the have the negative consequences of that so like leaning, leaning in and creating this conversation around how we actually need each other. Most, most, most of the times in conflict, we're not talking about that in the beginning. And that's usually the context that the whole thing is. We need each other. And, oh, this, and, and paradoxically, we need each other. And paradoxically, that if we don't let go of what we need each other for, we won't be prepared to do what, to fulfill the need that the other has for us or that we want, for instance, 
it's, it's very paradoxical, so it sounds goofy, but it's like, expect nothing, be prepared for everything. It starts from caring first about what you want to have and then detaching from that expectation so that you can hear whatever's there and prepare for anything and maintain the quality of your relationship, line up with the quality, because you know that the quality of your relationship is going to determine everything anyway. Right? So if I have a full expectation of what you're going to do and I'm not willing to let go of that expectation, I'm going to have a hard time hearing what you have to say that might jeopardize that expectation. Mm-hmm. But if I let go, once I have the expectation and I let go of it in the conversation, I'm willing to give it up in the, just to have the conversation. I'm going to be able to try, I'm going to be able to hear a much broader array of comments that may not align up with what I want than if I'm plugged into that expectation. Yeah. So it, it's Marcus Aurelius said that, you know, he said, I'm, Expect nothing, be prepared for everything. If you think about it, it's very, it's very paradoxical. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. I'm not saying be apathetic. I'm saying it's like in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, a lot of times the discipline Eileen and I will do oftentimes, if we get spun up, we'll say, hey, sus- can you suspend that for a minute? Can you suspend what you want to get out of this for a minute so you're not so harsh? Yeah, non-attachment is different than apathy. That's right. We're not talking about being ap- apathetic. We're just saying, hey, just to d- detach from it so that if you're okay with that, then you can start to hear what might be missing for you to eventually begin to have that grow in the relationship or have come out. Yeah. Well, yeah. And when, when we detach from it, we can move around it, right? We can look at it from different angles. But yes. when we're attached to it, it's fixed. And all we can see is that from that angle. Yeah. Talk about objectifying each other. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think, I think this ties in. I mean, I, I have a policy for myself. Like if I'm, if I find myself arguing with someone in my head, uh, like two or three times with them not around, then I need to go have the conversation mm-hmm. because what I end up doing, and I think everybody probably has this experience where you're like rehearsing the conversation. And you're essentially what you're doing is you're proving all your own points and you're proving them wrong and you're making, you know, you're essentially solidifying the, the argument about why you're right and why they're wrong. Or if you're on the other side and not the aggressive type, why they've mistreated you and why, you know, more of a victim conversation, why he shouldn't have, why I can't believe you did that. And, and here's how you misunderstood me. So whichever position, whatever pole you like in the conflict conversation. Um, I tend to go to the aggressive pole. Some people go to the uh, mistreated pole, but whatever you are, those are wherever you find yourself in. The, the, um, the rehearsal part, once you find yourself rehearsing and then you're going to go talk to them about it, just realizing you're already, the gun is already loaded. You know, you know as soon as you talk, now you're going to like download all the stuff, all the, the, the script you already wrote. Um, about how this is going to go and why you're right about it and why they're wrong about it and what they need to say and do before you're willing to listen and all these types of things. And so that's why people don't do this process we're in right now, just talking about is like to come in to learn because you, you've already set it up. I'm not here to learn. I'm here to, I'm here to speak. I'm and here to rehearse my lines. That's right. I know how this is going to go. And, yeah. most, and that's why most of us say we're bad at conflict because we're not used to, to giving up the script uh, and going and having a real conversation and exploring and being willing to be wrong about something that might actually be better for me. 
Because yeah. I can be right about things that are really bad for me. Yeah. Um, and bad for us as a company, if you're talking about it from a professional context. Like if my judgment is that Tom doesn't care about the company, doesn't care about the team, that's really bad if I'm not committed to you know, letting him go, if that's true. Because um, most people aren't willing to take the courageous action. They just want, they just want to take the courageous judgment. So I'm going to judge Tom and then not talk to him about it and then just have a very minimalist relationship for the rest of our tenure together. And I'd rather, it's actually better for us if I'm wrong about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Better for us if I'm wrong. We don't get that we're wrong about it. So that's why we come in to prove and to now be scrutinizing. And now I know what Tom's really like. And now I'm listening all the time and to, to that. And then, you know, I actually don't have any, there's no room for curiosity in, in myself and to be wrong about it. But if I can show up and then wonder what's going on for him and why, what, is happening makes sense to him and what he's actually up against and what it like what it's like you know to be in his shoes in the company at this time or in the relationship or in the meetings or whatever the context is wondering with him then i, I might be in a fresh conversation i have to give up this script that i've practiced for three weeks well it you know we don't realize but it's a choice between drugs do you want oxytocin or do you want dopamine dopamine when you're right oxytocin when you connect mm. which one would you like because mm. that's that's what we get if if i connect with you my body generates oxytocin which creates a you know a higher level of resource and connection etc if i'm right my body produces dopamine and i get high i get that high of being right but i'm alone yeah so you it's like you want to be right or you want to be connected and eventually, either one of them is going to wear off. So what would you like the outcome to be on the back end? And on the other end, there's, there comes, you're either alone. <laughs> or connected. Yeah. That's right. So let's, um, let's move into the next step, into this conversation, clarifying the issue. I feel like um, uh, there, are some, there are definitely some stumbling, some potential stumbling blocks in this step that if we're not paying attention and vigilant, they're easy to fall into. The one, the first one that comes up for me, right? So in this step, we're, we're talking about what's most important for us to talk about in this conversation, to make sure we're not conflating everything else that's going on, to make sure we're really zo zoning, or zeroing in on the, on the issue, what's going on, how long has it been going on? It seems like from my perspective, this is what's happening. The major stumbling block that I see, because I'm just drawing on my own personal experience is that I tend to make the other person wrong, bad, or broken, even in this first clarifying step. Mm. The way that I stated up until now or, or historically has been uh, very much this, you're a problem and we need to talk about this. We need to handle you. You are the problem. Yes. <laughs> yep. I'm I'm just curious in your thoughts on this. What's how do we how do we be vigilant to that stumbling block? I mean, I guess obviously being aware of it, knowing well, our patterns. There's always three things going on. There's what's going on in the physical universe. There's what's going on inside me about what's going on in the physical universe, and there's what's going on inside you, or from you, if you will, from me, from you about what's going on in the physical universe. So there's, 
those three things are always going on. So when you say, what's going on? You're saying, okay, I need to check into what's going on with me as distinct from what's going on in the situation, as distinct with what's going on with you. And if I realize all three of those things are going on, I'm going to be very distinct in my listening. I'm going to hear and, and just to connect with what those things are. I, I'm recognizing what's going on with me. And, and then by noticing what's going on in the physical universe and hearing what's going on with you, I'm going to even get clear about what's going on with me. So that deepens the, the connection and the understanding of what's generating the relationship or the conversation at that time. Yeah. So what's, what's going on, what's actually going on in the physical universe, is that the same as what current reality is? Like getting well, current, current reality is all of that. Okay, great. So, so, but what's going on in the physical universe is, oh, Chad just said this. Ah. Chad, Chad just said that. Mm-hmm. Now, what that means is what's going on for me. But I, I often think, what that means is what's going on for you. But I remember, remember the meaning lives with me. So whatever I think that I, meaning just shows up for me. It doesn't show up for me like, oh, I just made that up. It shows up like, oh, wow, that's reality. Mm-hmm. That's why humility is defined. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Flannery, O'Connor, Flannery O'Connor, she wrote that the first result or first fruit of awareness is humility <laughs> of self-awareness is humility because that because of that right because and she said that you know i don't know if you know who she was she's an interesting chick but she she wrote between 1925 and 1965 in, which is probably the most optimistic time you know in american history all the industrial revolutions peaked and all the you know the wars over you know after 45 and and she wrote about people who were disadvantaged, people who were handicapped, and they were considered grotesque. But that what they didn't realize is that the people weren't grotesque. It's what people were making up about the people. And so she wrote in really kind of really interesting, a positive, it's like paradoxical. She gets cynical about how people were looking at handicapped people to open up a greater depth of optimism. Because if you can get a hold of what you're making up about somebody who's handicapped, you then can receive the gift of the handicapped. And, and so if you think about that, the first fruit, if you will, of awareness, self-awareness is humility. Because I start to realize, oh my gosh, I'm making up this meaning over here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm creating that, right? It's a big deal because if I get a hold of that, then I can actually see what's going on and I can actually hear what's going on with you and make those distinctions. It, it creates the quality of life and relationship. You know, it's, it's like orders of magnitude higher than being in reaction to everything as if the meaning's coming from outside me and I can do nothing about it. Right. So the whole the whole idea of being of self awareness even we talk about it like it's a static thing like oh like like i'm self aware um like like i am like forever self aware like i've arrived you mean yeah like I, you know it's like oh now i have now i have the corner i know what's going on now um enlightenment yeah instead of like self like a self awareness as as a i mean self for me self awareness is a discipline and i say that because it's a suffering <laughs> 
is there's going to be things I'm going to, to be really fully aware of self. And I think people usually mean like they're aware of themselves. They're not usually aware of their impact on others. Yes. Because self-awareness is also this fluid um, cycle of like, I'm aware of me and I'm aware of my impact on others. And I actually don't know what that is unless I inquire, unless I ask. And if I do that, I'm probably going to hear some stuff I don't like. That's why it's like, a, it's a discipline. It's a suffering because I might have this self-awareness and a view of my self-awareness that's very flattering. I was just going to say a lot of times when I get in conversations with people and I've, I do this, I know this story well, is when I tell myself I'm self-aware, what I really am doing is that I'm telling myself that I know how other people see me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm saying I know without even asking, without checking in with you, I know how you're receiving what I'm, how I'm showing up. Yeah. And that's, I'm, I'm disguising that as self-awareness. That's right. Yeah. So there's some, there's some, some arrogance there for me when I'm like that. Like I've got a corner on your view of me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've got a corner on your view of me. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, let, let me correct you. This is what I actually meant. This is what I said. Let no, me this, tell you. No, this is how you actually see me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should have seen me, you should see me differently. Can you cut no, me some slack? Think, think about it. that is the essence of wanting of, of political correctness. Let me tell you how you see me. That's the essence of any kind of paradigm that's trying to, that you look to legislate or, or control other people's actions because in order to control their actions, you have to know what it means. And so the freedom of thought, now you're talking about, that's why it's so difficult. To, it's such a fine line in a relationship because I really want to, I don't, I don't realize that I'm the one making it up. So I want to give it to you. And the minute I give it to you, then you have to change. And that, that's really frustrating that think about the mood that that produces in the relationship yeah. when you have to change, when the other person has to change. Yeah. One thing that helps me is when I'm, when I'm upset about a situation and then I'm, I'm, I'm or I don't like whatever, I'm not enjoying a situation. And then if, once I actually get in a conversation with the other party in the situation, immediately if I'm, if I'm open to it, uh, and I'm not gonna like criminalize them or make them the bad guy, make me the good guy. If I'm open to it, I'll realize really quickly, both parties are not happy about what's happened. You know, like our, our disconnection or our dislike of what's happening is usually the first place to connect because we have that in yeah. common. Yeah. yeah. We're both distressed, hopefully. We're both distressed. Neither one of us like this. So can we talk about it? And I think usually that's a really great unifying position to talk about the issues because we're both having a bad experience or whatever. We're disliking the experience and we actually have that in common. So now all of a sudden that puts us on the same side of the table to talk about the issues at hand. And we can then do the forensics on how we got here and what's actually happening versus and make those distinctions between what's happening and what I thought about what was happening and what I thought should have been happening and what I thought you were doing and what I thought you thought you were doing and what I thought you thought about me as I thought about what, you know, as we go down the rabbit hole of experience, you know, if we can be on the same side of the table and look at that together and then explore with this kind of openness, um, then we can actually get to 
the facts, which is like, what is actually happening? And then, and then also, what, did I, what was I thinking about what was happening? And what, are, what were you thinking about what was happening? And usually the, the world's, uh, if we get a clear sense of what is actually the results are happening, the world's between what we were both thinking about what was happening are usually quite vast. And then that, oh, the distance and in interpretation is now we've been battling against. Because this thing is not good, whatever. The result is not good. But actually, most of the conflict is because our interpretation about the, you know, the, what wasn't happening is where the conflict has been. And we haven't sat down to kind of share and get on the same page with interpretation. Because we've been battling each other instead of battling for the thing. Yeah, you know, you just opened something up for me. Let me ask you, what do you think that is? Like, if you... That's my question. It's like, wow, what, what is the benefit of that? Like that, uh, the downside of that reaction? Well, I, mean, it, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Well, I, for me, I mean, the, the benefit of that is safety. Um, psychological safety, meaning like okay. I, I get to be right and this other person gets to be wrong and I, yeah. get, I get to preserve myself. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, right about what? I mean, that, so this really opens something up for me, which you just said, I, right about what though? What am I being right about? I'm going to name a few things. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm thinking about it in specifically conversation with Ali recently, um, my girlfriend, for those listeners that haven't just started listening, um, we were having this conflict about, about something and a, a pretty common conflict for us. And we have very different interpretations on the source of the conflict. Um, and I just, I, and we were gonna, we were, we're having the conflict during the day and I was, you know, focused on, you know, some said things during the day, she was focused on other things during the day. We needed to have the conversation. And we needed to have the conversation that night. And she was nervous about it, uh, about having it, um, which I understood. And I, I just texted to her, which is a little bit of a formula, ended up becoming a formula for me. And I, it was just true for me in the moment. I said, and I just said to her, hey, I'm going to listen and I'm gonna learn. And then I'm gonna speak and I'm gonna stand. So you um, declared your commitment. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, but I'm going to come in and I want to get connected to you first. Yeah. Which is a way to tell myself, don't come in to prove something, man. You love this woman. So don't come in to prove something. Come in to get connected to where she is. If you really want her, then you, you the first step is to get connected to where she is. And that is to listen and really listen, ask questions, honor her perspective instead of, instead of criminalize her perspective or disagree with her perspective, want to correct her perspective, honor her perspective. She has the right to her own experience. Yeah, but and, that, that, yeah, cause you're, you're, what you're doing is you're acknowledging the complexity of the system between you. That's right. That you, don't, you don't really know. You know, you think about it, when we talk about humility, it's realizing that, you know, you, what you said is really powerful because when you listen to like in a business, Somebody comes up and they, so often, many of the executives I work with, they're so certain that they know the answer. 
right. and that they're ready to change the system because they're so confident that their answer is going to change the system. And I, to me, that's a, I know when I get there and I've been there and I've bought this t-shirt, that's a, that's a height of arrogance to think that something this complicated. I mean, you think about how complex a team system is. Yeah. You're, you're just, you're talking about between you and Ali, or that's between two people. Just think if you have a family or, you know, like blended family, like you guys are working with, right? Yeah. That's a big system. And to think that, or to assume that I can integrate or do something in this system and know what the impact's going to be yeah. is really, the only thing I know is like, if I, the only thing I know that makes a difference is to, for me to get my own life in order. If I can order my own personal life, then that's going to make a bigger difference on the system. And you can take that to a business. If I really want to make a, a difference in the system, the business I'm in, I need to get in order, get my own listening in order. Right? And that's one way by declaring your commitment that way, you're starting to order your universe. Like you said, you make the declaration to her, like we said earlier, and your world gets ordered. Yeah. And, you, and then if you hold to that order, you're going to have a much bigger impact on that system than if you turn outward and think that what you're going to do is going to produce some predictable outcome. And if it does, the danger is if it does one time, then you think you know, and you got lucky. It was an anomaly, right? Because reality is so complex, yep. right? And so, so frighteningly complex. But, it, you know, because in our time, in our age, so many people have the answer for everything outside of them. But, you know, just think about how hard it is just like I keep, I was thinking, pondering this, how hard it is to lose 20 pounds for me. Like if I can't handle that and I think I can make a decision that's going to change my wife's life, my kid's life, their kid's life, like I'm going to go enact some something in the system that's going to do it. I can't even control myself to lose 20 pounds. Who am I kidding? I've got to get my order. I've got to get myself in order. And by doing that, that, by just making that statement, that's the beginning of getting an order and holding that on my side of the, now I can learn, right? If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, and to be honest, and this is different, different contexts, different people, the whole speak and stand part for me has been the growth area for myself. Because there's certain relationships, certain domains of life, I should say, certain domains of life where I think it goes back to the making it better thing. I can give up my own commitment just to try to make it better. Yeah. And this happens in business relationships. This happens in personal relationships where I just like, you know what, let's just find, as Kierkegaard says, find a level of despair that's tolerable and make it, you know, and, and, and call it happiness. So it's just like, can we just get by, you know, but reality is I might need to speak some things that aren't, aren't happy. And put the relationship, actually risk the other person deciding to break, the, break rapport. That's right. Yeah, well, the, yeah, that's why you know, in the business context, it's like, hey, we might not, this might not work out, which is code for you might have to go. And that might be the best thing for, I mean, if we can, I mean, if, is that what you're telling me here? It's like, like, should I start getting ready? This is, this is an intervention. This might not work out. Um, <laughs> they didn't tell me they're going to do this online. <laughs> here we are. It's naked. Naked leadership in real time. Dan, Dan, I, I've, I've created a list here of your issues. Um, That's right. This is not just naked. You're pointing at one of my parts of my body and laughing at it. That's not just naked. <laughs> 
body shaming. You're shaming me. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I mean, my, my point is, I think this is why people have the golden handcuffs issue a lot is that there are things that aren't working in the context and people aren't willing to pay the ultimate price, which is big life transition. And you know, they, it's, it's complex to shift and go to a new team, move, start a new company and do whatever. And, you know, because they don't want to face that they're willing just to, you know, create the best scenario of a very crappy situation. And that, that does, that has a psychological toll, a psychic toll on us and it affects everything. And that's why, you know, essentially kind of counting the cost on the front end of conflict, even the internal conflict you've got, like if I spend my time just trying to make this okay, and even if we talk about these types of conversations with people, we could spend our time avoiding the conversation that really needs to happen and find some level of despair, some level of frustration that's just fine and, you know, and put a, tie a bow around it and say, oh, this is just what it's like to work here or this is what it's just like to work in this industry. This is just what it's like fill in the blank. And we tell ourselves that to get ourselves off the ledge and quit exploring what's possible. I hear, I hear all the time from my clients, oh, this is just life. Just life, man. This is life, man. This is what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's resignation. Yeah. It, it is life up until now. Right. Yeah. It's the life you're choosing. <laughs> yeah. Right, up until now. I mean, if there's yeah. no up until now, then it'll continue to be so. You know, we've talked so much about it already without naming it, but that next step with the person you're in conflict with in this conversation is talking about the impact of yeah. the conflict or the breakdown. How is this impacting you? How is this impacting me? How is this impacting our team, our company, your family, my family? What are we, where is this showing up in life? Yeah. And really getting connected to that, that, cause with the, most of us, especially if we're living out the script that we're playing over and over again in our mind and we're, we are just showing up enough to toe the line, yeah. we are not connecting to our impact on a regular basis. Yeah. And this is a powerful, powerful exercise to, to start to connect to what, what is my impact when we're in this conflict or this breakdown? Yeah. We'll have uh, when 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 new clients fill out uh, or connect with us and start working with them. We have them fill out this thing called a toleration list, and which is essentially a place to like write down all the things they're tolerating. Um, and we're really usually ask them to do like five or so. Um, but you know what have we been tolerating? And it just comes up to here because like, I mean, if you're on a team, you know there are conversations you're not having. Mm -hmm. And there, and, and might, you might not know what the conversation is, but this frustration you've had for a while, which is represent is represents a conversation that needs to happen. And there's a price that we're paying for not having the conversation, a price we're paying for tolerating the frustration. You know, I was, I was joking, I was at this great event on Friday, um, a lot of great leaders in the room that I've worked with for a long time, really fun to see the company that I'm working with thriving. And I was proud, really proud of everybody in the room. And I was joking with them afterwards as I was meeting the CEO of the company that I'd not met yet. Uh, I met the president out here and there's a CEO out of New York that was here. I was talking about, I was explaining to him the type of work we do. And uh, I was saying, well, our work is, you know, because I was saying at some point we run out of room under the rug. And, you know, we were the ones that pull the rug back and say, hey, what, you know, 
Because if you're a leaders, no, we just know, you know, it's like, like I know when I'm, I mean, not always, but I know when I'm avoiding something. I know when I'm being a chicken. Mm -hmm. I know when I'm not being courageous. I know when I'm, you know, a lot of times when I'm, you know, uh, 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 being unwilling to have a conversation, just scared. I know that. And you know, I'll try to not know it, but I can't not know it because I know it already, yeah. you know? And, and this, is the, the, this, gets to the, this gets to that question of like, what's the impact here? Well, the impact on me of like not having a conversation or not dealing with the situation is huge. Yeah. It's huge. And especially if you put 10 of those conversations in my head, I mean, that is how I'm walking through the office now to try not to have these conversations. You know, now, I'm, now, now we're having this meeting and that's why a lot of the meetings, the agendas are really slim, really generalistic, really bullshit. Everybody knows because we're actually here not to talk about what we need to talk about. That's why we hate meetings and they're a waste of time, quote unquote, right? Yeah. Our meetings are a waste of time. Well, because everybody in the room knows that nobody's talking about what needs to be talked about. Well, and, and people have, look, the biggest problem I struggle with and I, you know, Adrian called me in on a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago was just what I wasn't ready for one of our meetings. Normally I am, but that's the thing I struggle with. Am I preparing for the meeting? Mm -hmm. And if I'm preparing for the meeting, I'm thinking to myself, does this need to be in person? Does it need to be online? Could it be an email? Could, could I just call the person? Like what, how often do we, and that goes with any communication. What am I about to say? And what's the purpose of what I'm going to say? What's the best way to say it to get across what I want to get done? I know I don't, the more I work with a team, the more aware I get of how important that simple discipline is. What am I committed to cause in this communication? It's funny, the thing you teach, you most, the thing I teach, I most need to learn, right? Mm -hmm. Because so often I won't really think about why am I saying this? To whom am I saying, what am I trying to get done by saying it? Is it the best way to say it? Which is very applicable to these conversations we're talking about now. It's the same yeah. sort of pattern. Uh, it's the same sort of thought process of what am I committed to? How is this best handled? What is the real issue? What are we, how's our time best spent? I want to make sure we get that the, the last step that's going to set us up nice for part three, which is owning our contribution to the breakdown with each other, right? We talked about owning it individually as we're preparing for this conversation with the others, but then <laughs> owning and naming our contribution to the breakdown with the other person. Yeah, now well, why is that so, think about it, let me ask you, why is that so frightening for you? Like what, or, or you know, disconcerting, if not frightening, disconcerting, destabilizing, nerve wracking, however you wanna say it. Because I'm going to expose myself uh, in a way that I'm afraid everybody is already judging me. <laughs> I'm going to expose myself to my own judgments. That's beautiful. Yes, exactly. Or, yeah, exactly. Or I'm going to expose myself to the way I judge other people. Yeah, right. Right? So right, if, I make up, if I make up other people are lazy all the time, that's like one thing I run all the time is like, oh, everybody's lazy and I'm such a hard worker, blah, blah, blah. That's like a racket that I run. Well, if I wasn't, if, if it came to this point in this breakdown and I wasn't paying attention because I was being lazy or because I was getting some other 
benefit out of being lazy or not paying attention. I then have to name that. Which opens me to the others. It opens me to attack. It makes right. me vulnerable. I yeah. think. I think. Yeah. Think. Yes. That's my mind thinks at least. Right. Yeah. And in fact, it actually takes away the need to defend. So there's more energy to be present and be fluid and be spontaneous and on your toes and to help bring connect and bring forth what you're committed to. But but you're right. I mean, the initial feeling is vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you said it brilliantly a minute ago, um, Dan, where most folks want other people to do what they're unwilling to do. So you might come into a rough conversation, quote unquote, hard conversation, wanting the other person to cop to what's happening, but I'm not going to show up to cop to what's happening. Got my name on it. <laughs> right. And so if that, you know, even as the leader, if I'm the leader, we're usually talking to leaders in this podcast. If I'm the leader, just, Wonder for a second is if there anything you're asking somebody else to do that you're unwilling to do mm. and I mean I, my, what I make up and what I've experienced even inside my inside myself is I think that you know authority uh, Like authority equals like perfection Like I've got to be this example which is like such, such old thinking that like my example is to be exemplary um, Exemplary like perfect like I've got it all together what I've learned through a lot of hardship is the opposite's true. The le the, nobody has it together. That's not happening. Nobody's got all their stuff together. Some are better at faking it than others. Um, uh, and if I own that quickly and I'm willing to cop to that quickly, to your point, Dan, I've got a lot more room. Like, hey, listen, we've got a breakdown here. I'm a part of this system. I know I'm doing some stuff that I'm not even conscious of. Here's what I know I'm conscious of. I've been avoiding you. I've been you know, not having these conversations. I've been judging you in my head. I've been, you know, making you wrong. I've been working around you. I've been gossiping about you. I've been doing all that stuff instead of talking to you. Hmm. And when you do that, it's it, as a leader, if you do that, it's, it is a huge opening for somebody to come to the table. Like you want them to come to the table because you want them to own all their side. Um, so as the leader, you know, if you're willing to do that and just to show your cards, like show your humanity cards, you know, it's like, oh, like, yeah, I'm over here busy being right about myself, too, and avoiding. But I actually want us to have this connection and have this camaraderie that we're together. But I'm trying to, to you know, to, to stop the judgment at the door of my tent instead of, you know, opening up and showing you all the mixed bag that I am. So, you know, it's like if we're willing to be with them really honestly and show our cards first and own it, if you've not done that before, for listeners, if you've not done that before, I invite you just to try it out. It's going to, here's a, a principle that when I first heard it, it was really um, game changing for me. And it was just this. And Dan, I think you said it to me a long time ago. Um, Here's the here's the, the the declaration is that I'm a hundred percent responsible for fifty percent of every relationship. That I'm a hundred percent responsible for fifty percent of every relationship, which is a, which is a, a great paradigm to look through. It's like if there's a breakdown between me and somebody else, I want to look at my side of the relationship and be a hundred percent responsible for it. And the faster I'm willing to cop to how I haven't been in the relationship in a way that works. Um, 
then it invites the other person to also, it's okay now. Hey, listen, this isn't a conversation about who's right and wrong. It's a conversation about how to get something done um, yeah. and to be connected. So, yeah. well, that, I think that's the, I think that's the bottom line. What are you committed to being yeah. right or to the vision you know, or to what you're, the purpose of the relationship, what, you know, what you're together for. Yeah. And that, that, I think that's a big discipline with professional teams is getting people to, off of, Hey, you're not just here to be served. You're not just here to get your life taken care of, but you're here to produce something and make a difference and, and have it meaningful, have it be meaningful, not only to you, but everybody else. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, this sets us up for the next, for really nicely for the next conversation, which I'm going to just kind of, uh, in, uh, uh, unofficially name what now, right? Because you can find yourself in this, <laughs> in this conversation and you've named the problem, you've owned your contribution and now what? Now um, what? It's like, so what? We just did all of so what over the last two. The next one is now what? Yeah, now what? So thanks so much for the conversation today, gentlemen. This is this has been fantastic. I'm loving this series. We obviously don't have any lack of things to say about this. Because <laughs> we're always in conflict. Yeah. <laughs> All right, love you, gentlemen. Great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, man. All right, my friends, this has been episode two of our three-part series around resolving conflict. I hope it's been helpful. I hope you got a lot of good tools in this episode. If this podcast has helped you in any way or entertained you, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. This helps us reach more people. Also, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with those in your life that are looking for a new way of leading. And finally, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. We'll see you next time.